Yes, hello and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. We are both property people running our own businesses and this podcast is just us chatting every week about the reality of anything and everything property. Now, those of you that are caught up on podcasts will hopefully have listened to last week's episode where we uh, had a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek discussion around Ben and the Telegraph's point of view that many people's pensions were in tatters. I think they said around 600,000 people of the one and a half million. And that led Simon and I to really just thinking about, is that the case for us? And when we think about the key proponents of that argument, it was really around four key areas that they were suggesting that us as landlords and property investors were leaving the market. And just to highlight those four things, one was Section 21, the removal of no-fault evictions. The other was Section 24, the removal of the interest rate relief that we can subtract from our income. And the removal of fixed-term tenancies. So those things were really the core of, of the article's rationale around why people like us were running for the hills and selling up, and particularly our friend from the article who had 30 properties was, was selling up, which, which we have sort of some uh, questions around. But those were the things. So Simon, kicking us off on this really, we had a little chat around how we might adopt our approach if at all, based on these things. And when we think about that, what are your first thoughts around your own portfolio and what those things mean to you and how you will operate as a, as a landlord investor? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to initially say, I think removal of Section 21, not too worried about that. We could just leave the podcast there. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Quick one to this week. <laughs> uh, changes to fixed term... Or ch- changes to tenancy, so you can't have the same sort of fixed term starts. Again, I'm not too worried about that. I think we should dig into both of those in a minute. But seeing as you asked how these things are going to affect me, really it's around Section 24 that has the, the biggest impact on me. I, I am in the process of purchasing a new property, and I have actually decided, go, go back a, a few weeks if you want to hear Stuart and Mike's discussion on what I'm going to do with this, how I'm going to purchase it, but I have actually decided to purchase that in a limited company. However, my existing property portfolio is in personal names. And hence, I am impacted by, by Section 24. And the fact that the mortgage interest that I pay can not be fully written off as an expense against tax. But of course, it is still an expense. I don't get that cash. And because I've been looking at how to purchase this new property, I've been running lots of potential scenarios and financial forecasts and, and looking at things. And along with that, I've also been going through a remortgage on one of my properties as well. This is a, a property that's coming from a, a very low tracker rate, and I'm moving it to a fixed rate because I think the, the interest rates are going up and they're going to go up for a while and probably to a reasonable degree. And, and that's quite a big jump for me. And because of Section 24, it has an outsized impact on the actual 
cash flow that I receive after tax, which is noticeable. And I ran some, some figures going beyond that and was looking at, okay, so the interest rate I'm getting at the moment is three, three and a half percent on the, on the new fix because it's a portfolio mortgage. So it's a higher rate than you, you might expect if you've only got one or two properties. And I was thinking, well, what would happen if that went up to four and a half percent or five and a half percent? And as it currently stands for my portfolio, I'm in a very fortunate position that I started buying some of these properties 20 years ago, and they are currently a, a very low, well, I say very low, a, a relatively low loan to value. So I have extra flexibility there. But even with those benefits in place, if the interest rates that I, that I was paying, so not the base rate, but the, the interest rate that I was paying on an actual mortgage product that I could get, if it went up to 6%, I would be losing money on those properties as they currently stand. Pre-tax, I'd be making money, but post-tax, I would be losing money. And it wouldn't be very much, but across a year, it'd be a few hundred pounds at that level. And and that's that's quite shocking and slightly worrying because 6% interest rate is not that high. And I could sort of imagine that if the base rate went up to 3 or maybe 4%, their mortgage products would probably be around the 6% level. And if this is me with a portfolio with a, a relatively low loan to value, sort of around the 55-60% mark, what position a landlord's going to be in who have got 75% or 85% loan to values if mortgage rates go up to 6% or maybe even higher? If they're owned in their own name, suddenly there are going to be a lot of landlords who are actually losing money after tax. So I, on that one metric, which wasn't mentioned very much in the, the article that we were discussing in the last episode, but, but that, I think that is, that is a worry. That, that must be a, a big concern for a lot of landlords. Now, Stuart, you've only got a relatively small portfolio left in, in your own names, but have you done those calculations at all for, for yours? Sadly not. I don't, no, that's not sad. I think it's sad when you do do the calculations and you think, <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that's I it. I think what you mean is happily not. Yeah, <laughs> I, I shall live in ignorant bliss until... That's the way to do it. Until that time. Well, interestingly, we, we'll, uh, we'll submit our accounts for 21-22 for the personal property in the next week or so. So I'll see how that's washing out at the moment. But I, I'm just thinking as you're talking that how comical it is that the you know that the, the mortgage lenders now are removing the stress testing, and when you talk about six percent, I'm like, and it's spooky, isn't it, that the stress test was typically on five and a half percent? I'm like, they brought that in for a reason, for the very reason you're talking about, and now we're going to take it away just just when we probably really need it. But that's a different that's a different podcast altogether. Yes, yes, indeed. Although we are talking about changes and changes that the government are making. And although that, that's Bank of England and we should separate that from government, but we are talking about government changes. So I think perhaps the next one we should talk about is Section 21. So Section 21 is actually the, the bit of law that gives you the right to evict a tenant for no reason. So you still have to give them notice. And obviously the, the tenant can to discuss things with you and try and negotiate and if they decide to be awkward they could not move and you still have to go to court and get this 
enforced and things. However, in the normal process of things, Section 21 allows you to give your tenants notice to leave property without giving any reason beyond that you want them to move. And the, the current proposals that are out, and this isn't finalised yet, but the current proposals are to remove this ability from landlords. We will not be able to issue Section 21 notices in order to evict tenants without giving any further reason. But that's not the only thing that's changing in this. The government are also changing Section 8. Section 8 rules are all about evictions with a reason. So this is where tenants aren't paying or they're damaging the property or acting in an antisocial way. These are all things that are governed by Section 8. And I think the plan is to extend Section 8 a bit so that hopefully situations where rent isn't being paid can be actioned faster. Because generally speaking, Section 21, a lot of people will will sort of take that notice and, and act on it reasonably quickly. Section 8 currently is used for the, the more sort of complex situations or, or more contested situations. So quite often, Section 8s do end up going to, to court and going through that, that longer process. And plans are to streamline that process so that it happens a bit faster and a bit more easily. But they're also going to add extra reasons onto this. So one of them being that you want to sell the property. So you can issue notice to your tenants to leave because you want to sell the property as vacant possession. And, and this is something that Section 21 is used for quite a lot. But of course... You don't necessarily have to evict your tenants to sell a property, but the, the option will, will still be there if you, if you do want to take that, that route. Now, overall, I think this could be an improvement in things because the, the Section 8 eviction processes should get easier and faster and simpler, and we will still have the ability to evict tenants who are causing problems. But there seems to be a lot of people shouting about how terrible it is that Section 21 is being removed. Because how on earth are we going to evict tenants anymore? But, but there, there are other ways. Stuart, do you think this is going to be a problem, losing Section 21? Well, based on the information that you've very well expressed to all of us without any previous attempts, is that they are, you know, and I've read very top-line information on this, but... You know, you, you've put it across. Is that the bottom line? Is if typically my experience is that the only times I really looked to remove tenants was for the reason that they weren't paying rent, or that we were going to sell the house. But I'm just trying to think of the houses we've sold uh, that were tenanted. Actually, we've probably got a fifty-fifty rate of we sold with tenants in situ, or the tenant left. However, that was a bad tenant that wasn't paying rent. So my summary for me is that this doesn't change too much. And, and I think just to, to recap again, th- th- these aren't set in stone. They're not in law yet, but we're just thinking about how we prepare for that. And, you know, we, we talked about this at length, actually, is that, you know, does our, does our way of working, operating change? Well, no, because I, I don't think there are many tenants where I've looked at and thought, Actually, after them signing the tenancy agreement, mm, actually, I don't like the cut of your jib. I think I'm just going to remove you 
because I can. Now, we know there are rogue landlords out there, but we believe most of us are not those. So I I can't see how this changes things for most of us because we are happy to have tenants in the property because that is a, a key component of our business model. Provided that the that the rental arrears elements does get placed into section eight in 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 a way that that hopefully does expedite things, I'd be happy with this move. I really would. And and again, as we talk about this, I always think about it. It's a really tough balance because as tenants, as as people that live in houses, we want fairness. We want to be treated right. As the homeowner, we want our rights as the property owner to to be met. You know, I know there are concerns, you know, digressing slightly that I've seen in other models around Europe. I think the Netherlands where people have lifetime rental capability. And again, without knowing the facts of that, because I just can't see how as the person that is on the title deeds, you don't have ultimate authority on that. That, that would be possible. So, in short, it doesn't really change how I view what we do. Yes, you know, ninety-nine percent of my portfolio is HMO rooms. But for the, the couple that aren't, I think we still operate as we can. You mentioned sort of lifetime tenancies there, and while these days all tenancies are are ASTs in England at least, so assured shorthold tenancies. And they typically start with six months or 12 months and then go on to a rolling tenancy after that. And either side can give notice. We did used to have other forms of tenancies in, in this country. And some of those were sort of without end. And the landlord could not give notice. And you, you even have sort of strict controls on increasing rents and, and things like that as well. So, so yeah, I don't think it was that long ago that, that we did have other forms of tenancies, some that were far more secure than, than the current ones. And presumably, it was deemed that that wasn't really working. Hence why we have our current form of tenancies. So, so yeah, it, it seems strange to, to sort of go too far back the other way. But perhaps, perhaps there there's, needs to be a little bit of a, a swing back that way. I don't know. Mm. So, in, in summary, I think we're both comfortable with section 21 and the potential well there, there, there was one one other scenario that was mentioned from uh episode last week and and the article that, that was based on and this is around student lets and they were suggesting that because there's no section 21 you can't evict somebody uh, sort of the the whim of the landlord because that's when the the, the tenancy is deemed to need to end and students are sort of a bit of a, a special case because they only stay for 10 or 12 months, depending on... They certainly are special. <laughs> depending on how they're, they're, those tendencies are structured. And they were saying that the way you implement this is with a Section 21 notice to end the tenancy at the end of that set time period. Some of your lets, Stuart, are student lets. They are. So do you think it will impact them? I'm going to be really honest and say I haven't even considered it in my portfolio. Let me phrase it another way. Can you imagine all of your students suddenly deciding to stay on after the, the end of their planned tenure? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I haven't considered it in the sense that I'm just not that worried about it because 
we've had it a couple of times, a handful of times in several years. You, it does every now and again happen. You might have what I call the slow coach tenant, but you know that they were the ones looking for rooms on August the 31st and term started on the 4th of September. Everyone else is booking the year before. So you tend to know when these people are coming up and they haven't packed their stuff up. But again, you know, their, their, their stuff goes in a black bag. Same as mine did, by the way, just to be really clear. This, I'm not being derogatory. This is, this is just how I operated as well. So they're fairly mobile. Does it worry me that some tenants could sit around? I think they could, but most tenants, particularly, sorry, most students, die tenants, if they finished the term, they want to move on. They, they're ready to move on as well as everybody else. If they, if they had finished their third year or whichever year it is, and they wanted to stay on, I'd like to think that we'll have that conversation. And could it upset me that someone stays in that house? Possibly. But again, in terms of the number of rooms I've got, it's not of, of the impact I think it will have on my number of rooms and portfolio. I just don't think it's significant enough. And where I've had this in the past, actually, because I do have property where it's, it's a seven bed and a six bed. So 13 beds in total. Now, there, is, there are times when we'll get one or two that don't want to hang around because of, for whatever reason. And I'll be honest, I often say that's fine, you know, and we, we'll work around it because, again, I'm not in the habit of kicking people out. If someone came along and there was a group of six or a group of seven that wanted that house, and that has happened, I would speak to the tenant and say, look, I know you need in a couple of months, but I have a room over here or over there. It's just around the corner. And I've got a group coming. Most people, and I underscore the word most people, are very accommodating if that's the situation. So for me, there's always workarounds. Could it be a fly in the ointment? Absolutely, it could be. But to be honest, it's been that way for the last seven years. So this doesn't concern me because the same situation could have occurred before this was written on a sheet of paper, if that makes sense. Exactly. You, you've, you've got your tenancy, you set it up, you issue your section 21, so it ends, or so the notice ends at the end of the tenancy. But if you've got a tenant who wants to stay, they're just going to stay anyway. And then if you have to take them to court to try and enforce that section 21, you're looking at months more, and that's going to cause disruption for your new tenants just as much as, as anything else. Mm. It, regardless of having the section 21 there or not, it's, it's all about the expectation on both sides being that it's a student-led for a set period of time for the academic year or whatever, and and the expectation is that they will finish at the end of that. Yeah, and playing devil's advocate, and I can see some people saying that once you once you put it out there, once you say it's possible, that there are going to be, there is going to be a minority of people that see that and say, oh, well, my rights have increased, therefore I will stay. And I'd, And I would agree with that, that that may happen. But in the world of students, that, that's always been possible. And with the tenancies that you've got in place, typically anywhere between 40 and 50 weeks, mine are around 48, 50, that's, that's, it's, it's always been a possibility. So I, I do think it might heighten that possibility because people see that and go, oh, well, like, it's, it's a bit like, uh, you know, at the start of COVID when they said, you know, if you can't pay your rent, Etc. Then somebody, there were a, a group of people that said, "Oh, that means I don't have to pay my rent." So I, I accept that, that this might increase the probability of it happening, 
but the, the but it's always been there as a, as a potential downside to what we do. Yep, and and even if they did stay, they would have to still be paying rent because if they didn't, you could then use the the normal Section Eight eviction to to ask them to move for not paying rent, and hopefully that would then also be quicker in the the new rules. So taking the other side of of these changes that are sort of concerning for students, let's particularly is around the end of fixed-term tenancies. So with an AST at the moment, it always starts with either a six-month or 12-month, or it can be a bit more, but normally six-month or 12-month fixed term. And that is effectively the, the minimum length of the tenancy. Now, some of the proposals that are out at the moment are saying that that fixed term will be removed. So a tenancy can start and then either side can almost immediately give notice. Now, the notice period is a couple of months, so effectively it means the shortest tenancy period would be a couple of months. Now, this could affect other markets as well, but we're talking about about students here, so we'll carry on talking about students. And in the student world, this could mean that you only have a, a student who stays for a couple of months. And the idea being, or the, the concern being, that all your students book into your rooms start for a, for a month and then spontaneously decide to up and leave and, and go away. Do you see this being a likely problem? <laughs> Based on my experience of students, absolutely not. I don't... Was it the spontaneity or the, <laughs> the, the organisation to do it together or which, which was the, the, the problem? Well, I, I, at the risk of sounding cruel, it was spontaneity. And of course, the students are spontaneous. Uh, I was thinking of, you know, uh, spontaneously combusting. But most students I know, just to, just to put this into context, when I bought the first property in the student area, I was advised not to buy houses at the bottom of a hill that was a four-minute walk away from the university campus because students don't like walking up hills. <laughs> well, there's a number of us that don't like walking up hills. But if, if I put yeah, that... I can relate to that. I mean. but, if, but if I put that as the context... The the probability of, of students after one month going we, we want we need to up sticks and leave is very remote is very remote indeed. But has happened by the way has happened. But of course with students there's a number of other factors at play. If they've signed up to a course for whatever it is, it's it's very very unlikely. So I uh, for tenants it's not even on my radar as something. Uh, students it's not on my radar of something to worry about. Again. It's just something that can happen and has happened. And this is where I guess we get experience because these things happen and you kind of get a little bit callous to it. Uh, not callous, but you, you know, it happens once or twice and you realise it's not the end of the world. And, okay, if, if they can leave after one month, would that present us with a problem? Absolutely, because we've then got a, a potentially partially filled house that is more difficult to fill because you've probably selected a group that either came as a group or selected a group at the outset and then you've got all of those dynamics and then you've got to throw someone new into it but operating as i do now between 50 and 60 rooms i can say that that that, that happens all the time particularly across the the rest of the portfolio that is two-thirds not student so it, it's one of those things again you have to manage it would be it's a real pain in the backside and and you know some, something we'll talk about in a forthcoming episode, was it doesn't change our primary focus all the time, which is on occupancy, whether that's a single flat, single one-bed flat, or a 
you know, 13 bed HMO, we, we always have to be focused. So I, I have to be honest, it does, sort of, you know, it, it, it does throw something of ambiguity into the air around what might happen. Like we said before, if people are more aware that they can do it, does that increase the probability of it happening? That's the unknown for me. So that is, that is a, maybe a slight concern. But like I say, it doesn't concern me greatly just because I think, well, that's the model I, I operate and therefore I, I guess I just have to be mindful of it. But we'll, have, we'll just have to look at our, um, our void rates and occupancy levels and see if that, that changes. Yeah, I think it will be very interesting to see if these things do have some of the, the feared impacts or not. Because as you say, it, the awareness might mean more people do it. But even now, people do do that. I mean, they, they, they drop out of their course, they have a, a life change or family situation changes or something, and they, ha- they have to stop. And right now, yes, theoretically, they have a 12-month or nearly 12-month contract that they are supposed to be paying rent for. And you've probably got a guarantor, given that they're students. So in theory, you could go and chase the guarantor for that amount of rent. and maybe you do maybe you don't but even if you do that takes quite a lot of effort quite a lot of hassle and is certainly not guaranteed to actually despite the name of the guarantor to actually result in in money so again maybe even now without this being officially allowed it actually works out better to say okay if you're going go make sure you've cleared everything out and i'll try and rent the room again it's perhaps not really that different with these these proposed changes. Yeah, and I do I immediately wonder, and and I and admittedly I haven't looked at the detail on the proposal, and I think it would be good to sort of dig into that for me at some stage. But when I think about purpose built student accommodation, and we'll move away from student in a second, but when I think about the PBSA, and I think about the livelihoods of of many, you know, landlords, investors across university towns across the country to 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 take that away and, and just say yeah carte blanche people can move in and out after a month I, I, you know that's that's a big call to make without any kind of allowances so again we'll, we'll wait to see till it comes out but uh, you know it, it it does make me consider whether or not they could do that full stop because yeah, it, it would be a, a big call to make. And the second thing, non, if we think about non-student, you know, my, I myself moved several times in five years, but it's different. I've got a family. But when we think about most of us, most of us don't want to move, you know, that quickly. I mean, I, I've done a bit of short-term letting. And, and I think you mentioned it pre-record about a lot of people that look for short-term lets are typically those that are bridging between selling a property and buying a property. And that was certainly our case as well. But again, most situations like that, people are overt about it and they talk around it so that if you signed up to that, uh, the issue I had was the, the, com- you know, the, the opposite of that, which was I was very explicit with a, a tenant and said this needs to be a three-month let or less, happier with less, and then, and then the tenant didn't leave. So, <laughs> you know, we, we're faced with all of these challenges. Does it add to them? Yes, a little bit. But ultimately, I think we're still where we were. Yep, I agree. New new challenges, and strictly speaking, new rules, but on the ground, probably not changing very much. No. And given the time elapsed on this podcast episode, I think that is a great summary to finish with, which is 
Are things changing? Yes. Are things changing greatly for us? Maybe. <laughs> we don't know. But what we do know is this is the business of property. We love talking property. If you do too, please do reach out to us on the business of or via the business of property.com or via Twitter at BIZ of property, biz of property. We'd love to engage with you. We're also, I say we, Simon has uploaded a lot of our chats up onto YouTube. So search us out there if you're at your desktop and you, you'd like to listen, just head over there. All that leaves me to do is say, we'll see you next week. Bye.